Today, here on Graceful Truth, we begin a series called Derailing Down. We'll take a look at the life of John the Baptist. Here's Pastor Steve Converse to begin our time together on this edition of Graceful Truth. It's a beatitude. Blessed is the man who doesn't doubt. But what's the opposite of that? But trust. It's a tender rebuke. And I need to add that it, it didn't eclipse the master's love for this prophet. Because in verses 7 to 15, he gives the greatest testimony to anyone he ever gave in his whole life. Right there written in scripture about John the Baptist. He tells us that this was the greatest man who ever lived up to his time. I mean, isn't that comforting? That God gives us room to doubt? To know that a man as great as John the Baptist can doubt, and even when he doubts, his greatness is instantly reaffirmed. The phrase which follows shows that his doubt did not lessen our Lord's esteem for him. You know, when you mention the word doubt and you relate it to Scripture, we always think of Thomas. And we always look at Thomas as doubting Thomas, as somebody who's, well, less than perfect because of his doubting. But seldom do we look at the doubt that comes into the life of John the Baptist, one of the greatest men in the New Testament, according to Jesus himself. And today, and over the course of our next couple of broadcasts, we'll take a look at this man's life and the doubt that we find there and learn how to derail this doubt. Along the way, we'll find out that our Heavenly Father is a tender God who allows us from time to time to visit this place without condemnation. It's not the desired place to be, to be sure, but it is a place that we do find ourselves from time to time. How to deal with it while we're there is the subject of our time together today, and we see the encouragement in our lives in the life of John the Baptist. With this edition of Graceful Truth Now, here's Pastor Steve Converse. This morning we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we've come to a wonderful chapter, chapter 11, chapter 11, and this is going to begin a brand new series, and we're going to title that series, Derailing Doubt, Derailing Doubt. I don't think there's a person in the room that has never dealt with doubt in their life. We all deal with doubt. It's a very common issue in our lives. Now remember, the focus of Matthew's gospel, very simply, is who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? And in an effort to answer that question, Matthew, basically beginning in chapter 1 through chapter 10, brings in testimony after testimony after testimony, witness after witness, almost as if he was in a courtroom, bringing witnesses in to testify to the fact that Jesus Christ truly is the Messiah, the sent one, the Holy One from God. And ultimately, in chapter 10, we learned about his disciples. And they were so convinced that Jesus Christ was who he said he was that they were willing to pay the dearest price their own lives. And so Matthew lays out all this tremendous evidence. And I'll refer you back to the previous studies in Matthew to get those details. But when he approaches chapters 11 and 12, Matthew has a new purpose in mind. He is no longer interested in providing testimony to the fact of who Jesus Christ is, now he is basically going to record the responses to that testimony. And these two chapters are filled with very common responses or reactions to the claims of Christ. And they were true in the days of Jesus, and they're even true today. And we're going to see various responses as we work our way through chapter 11 and 12. But today we're primarily concerned with the response of doubt. The response of doubt. And that's found for us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. 
Now, before we actually read the text, I just want to give you a little background. What the New Testament says about doubt. Because if you don't understand this basic foundation, you're not going to understand anything we look at in chapter 11. Now, it doesn't matter whether in the New Testament you're looking at the Gospels or the Epistles. Whenever, generally, you see the topic of doubt addressed, it's always in the life of the believer. That's very important to understand. It's almost as if to say you have to believe something before you can doubt it. You have to be committed to something before you can question it. And so doubt is something that's unique. It's a unique problem in the life of the believer. Now, unless you think that there's something wrong with you, if you doubt, we all doubt at times. This subject matter should be of great encouragement to you this morning because our text records someone who doubted and that someone was none other than John the Baptist. And unless you think that John the Baptist was some weak-kneed believer, in verse 11 of chapter 11, it says, Among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. So we see that doubt is a unique problem in the life of a believer. The greatest man that ever lived up to this time had doubts. And hopefully that can comfort our hearts. And it's a common problem that we all deal with, even maybe sometimes on a daily basis. You look throughout the Gospels and over and over and over again, you hear Jesus saying to his disciples, Oh, you of what? Little faith. How long will you doubt? In Matthew 21, 21, he says, If you have faith and doubt not, and he goes on to explain about the fig tree and moving mountains, but it's amazing here in the Gospel of Matthew, all the way at the end, chapter 28. Basically, everything's been done up to this point. Verse 17, at the end, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to them. And in verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. How sad is this? It says, but some, what? Doubted. Some doubted. Incredible. After all the testimony, after all the experiences they've seen, after the resurrection, Christ is there with them and they worshiped him, but it says some doubted. So over and over again, that word doubt appears. And it comes from a Greek word where we get the English word meteor. It almost means to be kind of hung in space. And in Scripture, over and over again, we're warned not to doubt. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands, praying and not doubting. James says, if you doubt, you're like a divided man, unstable in all your ways. So doubt is a matter that belongs in the life of a believer. That's the place it fits. It ought not be there, but it is. So let's address it and deal with it this morning. Well, let's look at this morning, the first six verses of Matthew chapter 11, and I'll read those for you. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the one coming or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. 
And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. We'll stop there. Well, first of all, let's look at this passage. And then we'll talk a little bit about the problem of doubt. Verse 1 says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples. That's what went on in chapter 10. We taught through that. We looked at that. He taught them. He trained them. He prepared them to go out into the world. They're out on their first missionary journey all by themselves. And so he sent them out. And it says there, He departed from there and went on to teach and preach in their cities. That means the cities of the disciples. Cities of Galilee. Eleven of the, the disciples, with the exception of Judas, were from Galilee. And so he continued his Galilean ministry. Now remember, back in chapter 9 of Matthew, he asked his disciples to pray with him. He said, pray with me that the Lord would send forth laborers into the harvest. And so they prayed. And when they prayed they became the laborers that they were praying for. And so they were sent out on their first missionary journey. Now, notice it says there that they went out on their first missionary journey, and because he had been working with them so long and hard and everything, training them, uh, since they went out, he just kicked back and did nothing. No, it doesn't say that. He continued his ministry by himself. True test of any leader. Once you send people out, that doesn't mean you just get to kick back and relax. You still have to continue the work as well. It reveals his leadership and his heart for ministry. And so it says that he goes out to teach and to preach. And we've looked at these words, and so we're not going to go over these again, but teaching relates to explaining the message. Preaching relates to pro proclaiming or announcing the message. And so Christ did that. And he probably continued his miraculous works as well. And he's alone. The twelve are out on their first missionary journey. And as Christ is ministering, the Bible says that he's approached by two disciples of John the Baptist. It says two disciples of John the Baptist approached him in verse 2. Now John had heard what's going on with Christ. He heard about the works of Christ. He's in prison, remember, and so he sends two of his disciples to ask, are you the one who is coming or should we look for another? Now, don't forget who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. John the Baptist is the one who announced his coming. He's the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God. He's the one who said, he must increase, I must decrease. John had already known Christ. He already pointed to Christ. He had already even baptized Christ. He had affirmed that he believed in Christ. But there were certain things that caused him to doubt. And so he sends these two disciples to say, is this the Messiah or are we supposed to look for somebody else? What's that reveal? That reveals kind of a question in John's heart. It reveals a little bit about John himself. He had a little doubt. See, John was in prison. He needed a report on how things were going. He's the one that, that pointed to the Messiah and said, this is the one, follow him. And he's just checking up on him. And the disciples of John were always tracking Jesus. 
They were always kind of out on the outer fringe watching what's going on and reporting back to John. And so the disciples of John were just basically finding out information so that they could let John know what was going on in Christ's life. Now there were some reasons for John to doubt, as there are reasons for us to doubt at times. But they, the, the Scripture here records two questions. He asks the first question, are you the one who is coming? Sounds kind of vague. Well, in the Greek it says, are you the erkomai, or are you the coming one? See, that's the way it should be. You should capitalize that in your Bible. Are you the coming one? Because it directly refers to the Messiah. It's a messianic title. Like branch, or the seed of David, or the king of kings, or prince of peace, or the coming one. It's one of the more common messianic titles, by the way. It's first introduced to us in Psalm 40, verse 7, and Psalm 118, verse 26. Even back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John speaks in the, the, the New Testament. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. In other words, the coming one. See, that's the term that John used to refer to the Messiah. That's the first question. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's promised? That's what he wanted to know. Look at the second question. The second one is this, or do we look for another? Are you the Messiah, Jesus, or are we to look for somebody else? It kind of indicates a little bit of doubtfulness there. Are you the one, or are we to look for someone else? John had doubt. And you know what? That's okay. Don't beat yourself up because you doubt once in a while. We all do. But there are reasons why he had that doubt, and we're going to look at those in a minute. The thing that was good about John and this is a lesson that we need to understand in our own hearts. The thing that was good about John is when he had doubt, what did he do? Where did he go? See, when John had doubt in his life, he went to the right source to have his doubt dealt with. Where did he go? He went directly to the Lord. Even though he couldn't physically go there because he was in prison, he sent two of his disciples and said, you know what, you need to go ask Jesus some questions because i got a couple questions myself that I need answered. And he went right to the Lord. I mean, some people might say, well, John didn't believe. Well, that's not true. He did believe. Matter of fact, the form of his question implies that he believes. He just was having a little doubt with his belief. If you were to read it in the correct sentence structure, really, he means this. Should I continue to believe what I believe or should I believe something else? It's if he's saying, you know what, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah. Am I wrong in believing that? I mean, just the very fact that he would send his disciples to Jesus Christ indicates that he hasn't lost his faith in Jesus. Because if he did, he would have never went to Jesus in the first place for assurance. It's as if he's saying, please assure me that you are the Messiah. And based on that, he must have believed to begin with. He didn't just deal with with his doubt himself, as we try to do often. When we have doubts that arise in our lives, what do we do? We try to figure it out ourselves. John the Baptist didn't do that. John the Baptist didn't go around talking to everybody about his doubts. <laughs> he knew that wouldn't help. That would have just dragged everybody else down the drain of doubt with him. 
But where did he go? He went right to the Lord. See, that's a principle. That's a lesson there for us as believers. When we're dealing with spiritual issues, when we're dealing with doubt in our spiritual life, where do we go? We go to the Lord. Go to the Lord first. Go to his word. Ask his spirit to help you understand the circumstances that are causing this doubt or the thoughts that are causing this doubt. His faith found a bump in the road. And we've all been there. John believed, he preached, he expected the Messiah to fulfill the promises. He had baptized him. He had pointed to him and he pronounced that this is the Messiah. And yet he was still confused. I mean, we shouldn't be too surprised about that. He didn't understand everything. He didn't have everything just laid out before him in perfect harmony. He, d- he didn't have a clue some of the things that were coming out of his mouth sometimes because they were coming from the mouth of God. So he had a hard time interpreting a lot of these things. And so he says they came and they asked the question, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And look at what it says next. John wanted to make sure that it was the right person at the right time who he was proclaiming to be the the Messiah. And so he sent two of his disciples. And Jesus answered them. Look at what he says in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 11. Jesus answered them and said, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. See, he knew already that they had been around for a while. He knew that they had seen some of the miracles. And so he says, you know what? Go and tell him more. Go back again and tell him this, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Go back and give him all those credentials. Look over with me in in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verse 21. Luke, chapter 7, verse 21. Luke records the same incident. And he says, they came and asked the question, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Then look at what happens. Verse 21. Immediately after they asked the question, in other words, in the same hour, it has the idea of immediately. Here's what happened. Instantaneously, it says he cured many of the infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you have seen and heard. You know what he did? He did a whole montage of personal miracles. And he said, you know what? These are just for John. You go tell John what you just saw. It wasn't some secondhand thing. It was immediately, right before their eyes. Then he gives a closing beatitude there in verse 6. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What does that mean? Well, it's really a gentle rebuke. It's a gentle warning. If you want to be blessed, he says, then don't stumble over me. Don't doubt. The word offended is scandalon. It means a trap. Blessed is the man who is not trapped. See, a trap was a a crooked stick and the bait was on the crooked stick. And when the animal grabbed the bait, the crooked stick fell and the trap caught him. And he was dead. It became a word that meant offended. So the Lord is saying, if you want to be blessed, don't allow anything I do or anything I say to lure you into the trap of doubt or you could stumble. Don't doubt because if you doubt, you won't be blessed. See, it's a beatitude. Blessed is the man who doesn't doubt. But what's the opposite of that? But trust. 
It's a tender rebuke. I need to add that it, it didn't eclipse the master's love for this prophet. Because in verses 7 to 15, he gives the greatest testimony to anyone he ever gave in his whole life. Right there written in Scripture about John the Baptist. He tells us that this was the greatest man who ever lived up to his time. I mean, isn't that comforting? That God gives us room to doubt. To know that a man as great as John the Baptist can doubt. And even when he doubts, his greatness is instantly reaffirmed. The phrase which follows shows that his doubt did not lessen our Lord's esteem for him. So we understand the basics of the passage. Now let's talk about that. Why did John doubt? And why was he perplexed? As we look at the text here before us today, I found four reasons why John the Baptist doubted. And those four reasons are similar reasons why we doubt today. Let's look at the first reason. The first reason, reason number one, difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances. Sometimes difficult circumstances tend to make us doubt. I mean, just humanly speaking, the career of John the Baptist really ended in disaster if you stop and you think about it. John was this fiery, dramatic, dynamic, courageous, bold man who preached exactly what needed to be preached, to whom it needed to be preached, when it needed to be preached. And he did so with no fear whatsoever. He was bold. He was powerful. He was aggressive. When he saw sin, the Bible says that he rebuked it openly. He didn't coddle it. He rebuked it to the point he ended up in prison. That's how he ended up in prison, rebuking sin. Sometimes you have to be careful who you rebuke. In his case, it was Herod Antipas, who was the ruler of Galilee. And he had paid a visit to his brother in Rome. And when Herod went to see his brother, he took a liking to his brother's wife and ended up seducing her. And when he returned home, he proceeded to divorce his own wife and then steal his brother's wife and take her as a new wife. Well, John the Baptist heard about this. And we know what he did. He didn't write an anonymous article in the local newspaper. He went right out in public view in the face of Herod Antipas, and he told him that he was basically a rotten, vile sinner who was an adulterer, and he did so right to his face. Obviously, that didn't go over real well with Herod, <laughs> and he proceeded immediately to throw John the Baptist into prison. And he would have had him killed on the spot, but he was afraid of the people's reaction because there were so many people that followed John the Baptist knowing that he was a prophet of God. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist wasn't just thrown in any prison. History tells us that he was thrown in a prison five miles east of the northern tip of the Dead Sea. Fifteen miles south was this old Herodian palace that had been turned into a fortress. The name of this place was Macareus. In the bottom of it was a pit, dark, hot dungeon in the middle of this desert. Well, that's where John ended up. For 18 months, stop and think about it, John had been in the limelight. He was known as a free spirit out in the wilderness, preaching, teaching, proclaiming. The whole country was coming to him. He was in the middle of the action, the crowds and the excitement. Everything was there. But now for over one year, he finds himself 
in the blackness of this stifling pit in the middle of the desert without any fresh air. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. 